NPR. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Adrian Ma. And it is debt ceiling season. That is when the U.S. Treasury says that it has about maxed out its credit line. And unless it's raised, the government will no longer be able to pay its bills. Adrian, I'm getting the weirdest sense of deja vu when you read that. Yeah, well, (laughs) that makes sense because that is exactly how I opened an Indicator episode back in October 2021. (laughs) Because altogether now, it's... It's... Death ceiling ceiling season. season. Again. It's like winter, spring, summer, fall, death ceiling season. So wait, are we supposed to wear white before or after death ceiling season? Maybe maybe you're supposed to wear red because it's like we're we're in the red. (laughs) I like it. Okay, so just just to quickly catch people up, the US Treasury Department has announced that as of Thursday, we've hit the debt limit, which is approximately thirty-one trillion dollars. But to buy the government some time, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the department is now engaging in, quote, extraordinary measures, end quote, basically accounting maneuvers to prevent the country from defaulting. So Congress has until at least early June to strike a deal to raise or suspend the debt limit. Yeah. And, and you know, it might seem that this debt ceiling drama has just always been the way it is and always the way it's going to be. But as we learned from that earlier Indicator episode, It hasn't always been this way, and it's not the way it's always got to be. So for today's show, we're going to replay that episode and take a trip back in U.S. history and look at how other countries handle their debt. Ever heard of a debt anchor? Or how about a debt break? After the, uh, well, the ad break, Sally Herships and I will pick up the story. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com indicator. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. So, like, how much of your psychic space these past few weeks is taken up by debt ceiling coverage? Well, regrettably, a little bit too much. Simon Rabinovich writes for The Economist, where he is U.S. economics editor. Editor is, in fact, a glorified title. Really, I'm just a correspondent. I write lots of articles. Uh, I don't edit anybody's articles. But it sounds good. It does sound all right, yeah. (laughs) Simon is being humble. We called Simon up because he has been covering and thinking about the debt ceiling drama in D.C. more than most people. And he says there was a time in American history when all of this drama around the debt ceiling just didn't happen. You can go back uh, a little over a century. Before 1917, there was no debt ceiling in America. Uh, Congress would just issue Uh, authorization to the Treasury um, for every bit of borrowing that it would do, kind of bond by bond, loan by loan. For instance, around the turn of the century, Congress wanted to build the Panama Canal. Problem was, the Treasury didn't have that much cash lying around. So the Treasury said, hey, Congress, let us sell some government bonds. We take on a little debt. We pay for the canal. But 
that was sort of inefficient. And it really became a problem when the United States got into World War I because who knows how much a gigantic war is going to cost? I feel like a lot. Like, you couldn't even imagine it, right? So Congress decided to basically give the Treasury an allowance. And it did that by passing the Liberty Bond Acts of 1917. So the initial idea was to actually give the Treasury more leeway. You know, you could do whatever borrowing you need to do. We're not going to authorize you on a a bond-by-bond basis. But there's this overall ceiling that you got to stay under. Back then, the limit was around $9.5 billion. That is around $200 billion in today's money. And since then, this thing that has morphed into the debt ceiling has been raised or suspended dozens of times to keep up with national spending. On the one hand, Simon says it makes sense that the government wants to try and constrain its own ability to issue debt. And that's because of something economists call the common pool problem. Whatever government is in power today has a big incentive to spend a lot of money because they want to get reelected and people like, you know, governments that deliver things to them. Things like new roads and bridges, spending on social safety net programs or free prescriptions for seniors. And, you know, people who are benefiting from whatever the programs are today, they don't think about the cost they're imposing on taxpayers more generally. And they certainly don't think about costs they're imposing on on taxpayers down the road. So in a way, the debt ceiling could be rationalized as a way to protect this common pool resource of government spending for future generations. But Simon says the persistence of the debt ceiling today has less to do with this kind of loose economic justification and a lot more to do with the fact that it has become a very effective political football. Yeah, it's like football is this quintessential American game, and so is the debt ceiling showdown. Dun, dun, dun. So whereas other countries do think about trying to rein in their debt and they do impose certain constraints you know, they don't want to have a situation where every couple of years they're, they're threatening default for political reasons. So what you're saying is we're special. America is exceptional. There is no question about that. OK, maybe he's being a little sarcastic, but also kind of not. One of the only other examples of another country with a debt ceiling is Denmark. But their ceiling is so high that the government's debt is nowhere near it, so it's not the same kind of reoccurring controversy that it is here. Most other countries don't have, you know, hard numerical caps on overall debt. If you want to be jargony about it, their fiscal rules are more flexible. Other countries use what's called a debt break. (laughs) There's a rule that says the debt has to stay under a certain percent of the country's gross domestic product. For example, in Poland, that means staying under 60 percent of GDP. And in Germany, they have a target of keeping new borrowing within a third of a percent of GDP. Although worth saying that rule has been suspended during the pandemic. True. So by contrast, New Zealand doesn't even have a specific number it has to stay under by law. Instead, they have what they call a debt anchor. So the way that works is each newly elected government sets its own target for what they consider a prudent amount of debt. Simon says most economists he talks to agree that these more flexible rules make more sense than what the U.S. is doing. But I think even smarter are the economists who say that, you know, ultimately all of these debt limits, debt ceilings, debt breaks, debt rules, whatever you call them, you know, are ultimately very arbitrary. Like, why not come up with ways to make debt accumulation more manageable? Like, look at what the government spends on regularly and find ways to cut back. 
So instead of trying to rein in debt after the fact... This is a fiscal rule that comes before the fact and tries to ensure that the debt accumulation, you know, is more reasonable, is more targeted, uh, and is ultimately more sustainable. Do you think that's doable for us? No, no, I don't. I, I think it's, sadly, no. I think it's a great idea, and I think it's a great fodder for, for discussion and maybe for other countries to implement. I think, sadly, the political reality in America uh, is that, you know, although the debt ceiling, you know, as it exists in America, nevertheless, politically, it's clearly a very powerful tool A tool that for a lot of politicians seems a little too powerful to put down, for now. And it's kind of ironic when you think about it. The debt ceiling began as this way to allow one branch of government, the executive branch, to support another branch, Congress, so they could more easily spend the money they said they wanted to spend. Yeah, but nothing about this feels easy right now. Yeah, think about that when you see lawmakers debating this in the coming weeks. This episode of The Indicator was produced by Brittany Cronin and Emma Peasley with help from Josh Newell. It was fact-checked by Brittany Cronin and Taylor Washington. Our senior producer is Viet Le. The show is edited by Kate Cannon and is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.